Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. All right, we're continuing this series, The Four, where as we read through the F260, the Gospels, we're also going to be touching on the four Gospels over about five weeks. Last week we did Matthew, and we talked about the call of Matthew, how he was called to be a disciple. Today we're just going to jump into Mark. Mark's an interesting character because he wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't one of the original 12. Uh, In fact, we believe that he got the accounts that he's writing about through interviewing Peter. And one of the reasons scholars believe that is because in Mark, Peter's failures are really heightened. It's almost as if when Peter was telling the story to Mark, he's like, oh, that's where I really blew it. Make sure you get that down, you know. At least that's what scholars think. We'll, we'll see. Um, but Mark was the first gospel written. And last week I mentioned how Matthew was writing particularly to people who were from a Jewish background. And he was specifically trying to show them that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Now, we think that Mark is writing to Gentiles, people who are not from a Jewish background. And really, his purpose is different. Uh, Mark's writing style is much more bold in the sense that, like, Jesus just shows up on the scene, and Mark is not trying to, like, hide who Jesus is. In fact, the book of Mark starts with this verse, 1-1. It just says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Like, if you wondered what this was about, Mark's not hiding anything. And the reason of that is he's presenting Jesus as the one who is establishing God's kingdom on earth. If you think about like World War II when the Allies stormed the beaches of Normandy to push back the Nazis, that's a little bit like what Mark is going for here. It's like the kingdom of God is coming back and pushing back the darkness. God's righteousness is invading the world. The light is pushing back the darkness. Justice and the character of God are invading the world through Jesus and pushing back unrighteousness and oppression and the demonic powers. And so Mark writes with that in mind, that the kingdom of God has arrived. But today we're going to be looking at a passage uh, about the rich young ruler, about a young man who seems like he wants to follow Jesus and be part of this storming the beaches, so to speak. Uh, But then when Jesus challenges him, we find out that there's something deeper going on in his heart. So Chris is going to read for us Mark chapter 10 starting in verse 13 all the way through 31. So let's hear God's word now. As I read the word, if I could just encourage us all to pay attention. We've had a focus this morning of this is what we're about. Our church is about the word, right? This is God's revelation to us. This is God speaking to us. And when the king of the universe speaks to us directly, it behooves us to say, get rid of the distractions. Let me dial in and hear what he has to say. So I would encourage you, as I'm encouraging even myself, to pay attention to God's very word. Mark 10, verse 13 through 31. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, 
Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, Who then can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and eternal life in the, end to, in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The word of the Lord. Have you ever uh, run on the indoor track at the YMCA? Anybody? Raise your hand. Have you ever run or jogged or walked on the indoor track of the YMCA? Uh, most YMCAs have some sort of indoor track, and a lot of them are on the second floor, and they build it on the second floor overlooking the gym. So as you're running around, you can look down and see the gym floor. The Hollywood YMCA has one, and on that one, uh, you know, I like it because it's got a little bit of padding. Like, it's not like you're running on the concrete. It's, it's a little bit softer. And there's only two lanes because most of the Ys only have two or three running lanes. And so if you're running, slow people go on the inside, and then if you're passing, you go on the outside. But the most important thing when you're using the indoor track at the YMCA, like the foundational thing before you even get on the track is you have to check the arrow. You have to look at the arrow. Because on some days... They direct traffic to go right and run counterclockwise. But then other days, they flip the arrow and you're to run left and go clockwise. You got to get that right or it's a mess. Uh, one time at the Y, not the Hollywood Y, but another Y, I was running on the track. And that particular day, we were going right. 
we were going counterclockwise, and the track was pretty full. There was about 20 people on the track, and so, you know, you kind of had to be focused when you pass people and, and make sure you didn't run into anyone. And we were all going counterclockwise, as we should, going in the right direction, following the arrow. Well, then this guy gets on the track and doesn't check the arrow and goes left, goes clockwise, and starts running and starts passing people, but not behind them, like he's running at them face to face. 20 different people, he's running and coming at them like this, and it doesn't occur to him that he is going the wrong way. And so while it was packed already and we were kind of having to be careful, he looked like he was doing an obstacle course because as people were both on the inside lane and outside lane, he was running kind of like this, and he wasn't going slow. I mean, he wasn't jogging. He was running, and it just looked kind of ridiculous. But what made it really dangerous is that he was running holding dumbbells. Now, I think that was a little significant, maybe a metaphor for him at that point. And these weren't like two-pound dumbbells. They weren't 100-pound dumbbells, but I did not want him to run into me while holding these dumbbells running the wrong way. So I I thought, certainly, like, it's going to hit him here that he's running the wrong way. Like, how many people do you have to pass that are facing you and you have to weave your way, and they're not moving, before you figure out that you didn't see the arrow, and you're going the wrong way. So he runs by me, and I'm kinda, I kind of like do this with my eyes, like, like just trying to get his attention, because I'm trying to be polite. I'm a pastor. I can't be rude, right? And, um, and it doesn't hit him. Like, he doesn't realize what's going on. So then he goes back around, and, it's, and I can tell it's, gonna, it's about a minute before I'm going to see him again. I thought, someone's got to stop this guy. <laughs> And someone's got to just tell him, you got to check the arrow, man. You're going the wrong direction. So he comes back around. I was like, hey, 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 hey. Hey, uh, the arrow, bro. Like, take those weights, put them down for one. But then turn around and go the other way. Everyone's going this way. And he had this, like, sheepish grin on his face. Because he turned around, he saw literally everyone going the other way. And it was almost like he knew it in his mind, but just hadn't made the connection And I was like, it's all right, man. Just, you know, check the arrow next time. Make sure you're going the right direction. In the Bible, the Bible talks about a time when God would show up on the scene and flip the arrow. The Bible talked about a time when God would show up in such a tangible way that the arrow would be flipped and it would change the direction of the way the world was going. That, that God would break through with new light into darkness. That God would come in and change things so that evil would be confronted head on. That God would show up and change the direction of things so that brokenness would be healed with his peace. That things would be set right. And the language that was used of this is the kingdom of God coming to earth. That God would flip the arrow by bringing and establishing his kingdom on earth and changing the direction of the way that the world worked for good. Now, when Mark starts off his gospel in chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus shows up and look what he says. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. 
repent and believe the good news. Now's the time the arrow has been flipped. God is doing something through me, Jesus says. It is time for you to turn around and go in a completely different direction. And as we look at this story today, the question for you is, have you taken note of the arrow? In which direction are you going? Because we come into the story and we see someone who has not taken note of the arrow and they are going the wrong direction. In verse 17, we start off being introduced to a rich young ruler. The text says that as Jesus was sitting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the fact that he ran up to Jesus, we're supposed to kind of get that this man is pretty confident. He's pretty confident to approach Jesus on his own terms. And he asked this question about eternal life. Now, most of us, when we hear that question, we think that he's asking, how do I make sure I go to heaven when I die? That's only really part of it. The bigger question is, when God does something huge in this world and the world to come, how do I make sure I'm in on it? When God invades this broken world and he brings the life of heaven into this world, how do I get in on that? And Jesus hears his question and he challenges him. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, no one is good but God alone. Then Jesus goes on to tell him, well, you you know how to be part of what God's doing. You obey him. You know the commandments, right? In verse 19, he says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. If you want to make sure you're going in the right direction, don't do those things. Now, Brian Chappell points out about this text something really funny, because Jesus basically goes, there's nobody good but God, and the rich young ruler goes, me too. I'm good too. He tells Jesus, I have kept all these from my youth. All those things that God tells us not to do, I'm not doing them. I'm going in the right direction. The, The problem is, This man has a a wrong understanding of God's commands and God's laws. God's commands are much more than just don't do certain things. Like when, when we hear the commandments that say don't kill, that's like the baseline, bottom line things of stuff you're not supposed to do. But because God values human life, it's just, it's more than just not killing somebody, right? It's about loving your neighbor sacrificially. It's not just about not stealing from your neighbor. It's about blessing your neighbor. It's, just, it's not just about not lying. It's about being a person who embodies God's truth. And so as this man hears the do nots, do nots, do nots, he goes, well, I haven't done those things. I'm good. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Because though this man has kept many of the do nots in the Ten Commandments, he has missed the most important one, the one that comes first. You shall have no other God before me. We'll find out why. The the reason why is because this man is wealthy. 
He has a lot of money. He has a lot of stuff. And stuff and wealth and money isn't bad, but stuff and wealth and money is this man's God. And as Jesus looks at him, Jesus knows this about him, and he knows that because of the weight of the wealth that this man is carrying, he will never be able to recognize which way the arrow is going. He'll never be able to evaluate himself honestly. He's simply running around the track, avoiding running into stuff, rather than asking himself if he's even going in the right direction. See, this man can't be part of the life of God on earth or for eternity because he is ultimately dependent on his wealth for life. So the very thing he's asking Jesus about, he's prohibited himself from engaging in. How do I be part of the life of God? Well, you're not even interested in worshiping God because you're worshiping your money, all your decisions, everything. All, every day when you get out of bed, your first thought is your stuff. And all day long, you circle around that, protecting it over and over and over again. And so you will never worship God because your life, is not, life agenda is not about God. Rather, it's about your stuff. Well, I love what... Mark writes next, says in verse 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him. And that's really interesting because Jesus is about to say to this man the hardest thing that this man has ever heard in his life, the most challenging thing that this man has ever heard in his life. But Jesus says it to him because he loves him. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. In just one command, Jesus completely deconstructs this guy. And when he says you'll have treasure in heaven, he's not simply talking about when you die, you'll get stuff in heaven, although that's part of what the Bible teaches. But also then your greatest treasure will be the stuff from heaven that God is bringing to earth, mainly himself and his kingdom. So go ahead, recognize that the arrow has switched directions, and why don't you switch your life direction and come follow me. Now the man had walked up to Jesus thinking he was a good person. But in that one command he finds out that he's not actually interested in following God. He's not actually interested in being part of what God is doing on earth because he's so dependent on his wealth, because his agenda is all about himself and his wealth. And in verse 22, it says that he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. He had many possessions. Jesus goes on to teach, after the man leaves, the disciples have questions, and Jesus has kingdom principles that he's going to teach them. And what we learn from that is the areas of our life that we have to be willing to change as we see that the arrow of God's kingdom is now pointing in another direction. And it's hard to hear what Jesus is about to say, but it is necessary if we want to grow in following him. 
First of all, he says that you have to change your direction from self. Like every morning you and I get up out of bed and my agenda is me, right? All day it's me. I, I do what I want. You know, I do the things that I want to do. And that's exactly what was, what was holding back the rich young ruler. In verse 23 through 24, he says, Jesus looked around, said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. Now, the reason that they're astonished at his words is because they believed that the more stuff you had in your life, the more blessing it was from God, and the more right you had to participate in what God was doing in that life and the life to come. So in other words, wealth was a sign of God's blessing, period. And Jesus says, actually, wealth can be a disadvantage in my kingdom. Wealth can be a disadvantage. Well, how how can wealth be a disadvantage in the kingdom of God? Jesus is telling us that wealth can make you blind how every day you get up out of bed and your agenda's all about you. Wealth is not evil, okay? Paul tells Timothy, it's the love of money that's the root of all kind of evil, not money. But money does have this magnetic pull to it, that unless you're constantly fighting against it, you will just get sucked in. You think money is something that you can hold, but it always is trying to hold you. R. Kent Hughes talks about how wealth naturally corrupts us. He says, wealth naturally works at perverting one's values. We soon know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Pride, arrogance, insensitivity, indifference, self-satisfaction, worldliness, and other ungodly mindsets feed on affluence. Again, wealth is not bad, but there's disadvantages that come with it when you're part of the kingdom of God. It's like mildew that you constantly have to spray down with bleach or it will just grow and spread because there's such a tendency for our hearts to look and find the source of life somewhere else outside of God. There's such a tendency for us to find our significance in something besides Jesus. Our hearts are always longing for that. We're always looking to build our own kingdom. But Jesus is saying, no, the arrow is switched. It's no longer about your kingdom. It's about God's kingdom on earth. And therefore, we have wealth or any gift that God gives us, and the point of it is not for us. The point of it is to use it to honor God and serve others. In our culture, it's so hard to see this because everyone's agenda is me. We can live our whole lives just doing the next thing, like I'm ready, I'm working towards the next job, I'm working towards the next car, the next relationship, the next thing. And and before we know it, we are living our lives pulled in by the magnetism of wealth. Now, whether it's that or whether it's other things like success or freedom, we have to realize that the things that our, our culture values are opposite 
the values of the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, the values are generosity and mercy and humility and self-sacrificial service. Really, that's at the center of the kingdom of God. In fact, just a few verses later, Jesus is going to say, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, really the kingdom principle at the very root of everything is that the most powerful one, the most wealthy one, gave himself up for those who didn't deserve it by going to the cross. Jesus served us and gave himself away. His agenda was not self-protection or self-success or influence. Rather, it was to serve you and me. And he calls us to mimic that. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. But the good news is there's a cross that you and I will never have to bear, and that's the cross that he was on on Calvary when he paid for all of our sins. But we look to that cross and say, that tells me something about how the kingdom works. The kingdom works not by seeking out my own agenda, but seeking out God's agenda and sacrificing myself for others. And that is the opposite of the world. A dear friend of mine uh, was a successful businessman. He had a couple small businesses, and those businesses brought in a good amount of money, and they allowed him a lot of freedom with life. Like, he could kind of just do whatever he wanted. And he was in a good place in life. He had a wife. He had three kids. And in the middle of that, he came to know Jesus. And the interesting thing was, like, internally, his heart began to change, and he didn't do some of the things that he used to do. But externally, like, nothing really changed with his money. And, like, he still had all this freedom and, you know, he would go to the men's Bible study, and then they'd talk, and then there was, like, nothing that they did after that. And he just kind of wondered, is this all, like, is this all there is? Like, I still feel like my life is all about me. I can do whatever I want. And he felt such a deep pull around that that he decided, him and his wife decided, to sell their businesses and sell their home and move into a very disadvantaged neighborhood and just serve the neighborhood. And he got involved, he started ministries, he got involved with other ministries, and because he was a businessman, he was able to actually help lead those ministries and work to get finances funneled into this neighborhood so that people could see real change. See, he, he flipped the agenda, right? And, and oftentimes, you and I go, the first thing we read this passage, and we go, well, we don't have to sell everything to follow Jesus. No, you don't have to sell everything to follow Jesus. But why are we so quick to make sure we say that? Could it be that we're really just still guarding our wealth? Well, the danger for this man is he realized that even though he'd made this big change, he still had some dependence on his stuff. See, one day him and his son were home, and their door got kicked down, and two guys came in with guns. And he had all these things from his business that were financially valuable around his house. And those two gunmen took all that stuff and left. And I talked to him a few days later. I was like, man, how are you doing? He's like, well, we're so glad that God spared our lives. And, you know, we're praying for those guys that broke in the house. I just thought, that's really cool. Like, love your enemies. 
And he said, but you know what? All those financial treasures that I had around the house, he said, there was something in my heart that depended on those things still being around more than God. He said, it, it was like I had given everything to God, but that stuff. And it wasn't wrong to have that stuff, but he recognized that his heart was dependent on it. And then he leaned in and said, I'm glad it's gone. I thought, wow. Wow, not only has this man given up his agenda, but he's recognized that he has to change his deepest dependence. And that's exactly where Jesus goes next. In verse 15, the reason we read verse 15 is Jesus says, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little, what? Child will never enter it. How do children come to you to receive things? They put down what's ever in their hand, and they come with empty hands. They come with dependence. I know that what you're, you're going to give me will provide for me, so I trust you. And Jesus is telling us that the way to enter the kingdom, the way to receive the kingdom of God, is with open hands, with a dependence on God. Because in the next verse, in verse 24, he says to his disciples, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Notice, he, he doesn't say the wealthy right there. He just says how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. But then he goes back to the wealthy and says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is hard for a wealthy person to open up their hands and be completely dependent on God. But if we're honest, it's hard for any of us to put down whatever is in our hands and be completely dependent on God. Because it's just so easy to trust something else. Position, status, stuff, relationships. Our hearts are constantly looking for something to fill the God-shaped hole. Well, if you're feeling a little discouraged, the disciples were as well. Because in the next verse, in verse 26, they were astonished saying to one another, then who can be saved? If we have to enter in like a dependent child, who in the world can be part of this? And notice they talk about salvation there. Uh, there's this belief that we get saved and then we sort of sit on our backsides and do nothing. But notice how the idea of getting saved and being part of God's kingdom are both running through this passage. In other words, follow me is not different than I need forgiveness for my sin. Really, someone who is forgiven is a disciple, and someone who is a disciple is forgiven because both of them have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says the way to receive salvation, the way to receive the kingdom, is not possible by man, but only by God who does the impossible. How do we know that? Last week, Matthew left his tax booth to follow Jesus. He left his life of wealth and sin to follow Jesus Christ. And you have left stuff as well. Maybe it was a wild lifestyle. Maybe you were in a job that caused you to break God's commands every day and you had to leave that too. Maybe you had gained wealth through illegal ways and you had to stop doing that. Maybe you were known for abusing other people and you had to lay that aside. 
you think you did that on your own? No. God did the impossible in your life so that you could be saved and you could be part of his kingdom so that you could go to the cross and receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ so that you could enter in saying, I can't do anything but kneel down before Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness. And see, that's what's different about a disciple and the rich young ruler. Because if you look back at the beginning of the passage in verse 17, I don't know if you picked up on this, but he says, good teacher, what must I do? I've done all this other stuff. I can do this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is helping him see that he can't do anything. He just must receive the kingdom. But to receive the kingdom, he has to put down all the things in his hands that are keeping him from receiving. He must see that the arrow has turned and walk in repentance the other way. Now, I I know as we go through this, we have all lost things in following Jesus. But that's the very place where Jesus ends this discussion and wants to bring us assurance. One of the disciples says, well, we're in. Like, if this is what it means to lose everything, We're in, we're here, we're following you. We literally don't have homes because we left them and we're following you. Like, what do we get for that? And in verse 29, Jesus provides assurance that they are running in the right direction. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecution and eternal life in the age to come. See, the way that Jesus views it, we view it like, Jesus, I had to give up my job, or Jesus, I had to change this one way of living. What one thing are you going to give me? And Jesus says, that's not how it works. I give a hundredfold. <laughs> Mainly, to be part of this kingdom here on earth, where you're part of a family now, where if you've been rejected by your family for the gospel, you will be invited in by the family of God in the kingdom of God. Where if you've had doors closed to you because you're a Christian, new doors open up to you to welcome you into home by other Christians. Where you have lost stuff because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ, you are now part of a community where people share their stuff. And that's not insignificance. That is the very spear of the kingdom of God on earth. And it won't just be in this life. It'll be in the life to come. Jesus wants us to to have assurance that when we give up self-allegiance and rely on God, when we give up independence for a life of dependence in God's kingdom, it doesn't come with no rewards. The rewards are being part of this community that we love each other and share with each other and the infinite amount of rewards in the life to come. Now that assurance requires faith and that faith requires us to 
surrender, to surrender afresh to God. So let's end by praying that God would help us surrender our lives to him again. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that you don't ask us to do something that you didn't do. You gave yourself up for us. And so we pray that we would give our lives up for you afresh, not to earn something from you, but because you have won everything for us on the cross. Our sins are forgiven. We are children of God. We have the Holy Spirit. But the direction of the kingdom is to relying on God and giving ourselves away. Help us to be that people more and more. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.